Welcome to Hacks for Life with Galen Jones of James Group Ministries, a Christ-centered conversation that will encourage and inspire you to live a better life. Now let's join Galen Jones of James Group Ministries. Hello, I'm Galen Jones, and you're listening to Hacks for Life, and I've been having a conversation uh, for quite several weeks, several podcasts we have have out, um, and now we're talking about the canonization of uh, our Bible. Um, And so, Scott, we had, from our last conversation, had three points um, that we kind of wanted to to, uh, walk around, have a conversation around. Um, So kick it off and let's go. Yeah, it's it's the divine qualities of Scripture. And just just to remind everybody, I'm using a book that Michael Kruger wrote which it's called Canon Revisited, where he's basically talking about this self-authenticating model for how to determine whether a text should be considered the Word of God or not. And when you say text, you're, you're talking about like the Book of Romans, yeah. the, the Book of Timothy, or First Timothy, First Second Timothy. 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 Yeah. yeah, all of those. Yeah, yeah. yeah. okay. So just I'm going to start with the sort of framing quote, and then we'll go into the, I want to read some scriptures and stuff like that. Um, Kruger says on page 101 of his book, here's the beginning of the quote, he said, Put simply, canonical books are received by those who have the Holy Spirit in them. When people's eyes are opened, they are struck by the divine qualities of Scripture, its beauty, harmony, efficacy, and recognize and embrace Scripture for what it is, the Word of God. They recognize that the voice of Scripture is the voice of the shepherd. So we talked a little bit about beauty, harmony, efficacy, just as general ideas, and I want to sort of dig in just a little bit uh, into that. And there are more. There's, these are additional quotes that I'm going to be reading. These are, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm quoting extensively from him. So the first section that we that we're referencing here is called the beauty and excellency of Scripture. And this is a quote. This is a quote where he quotes certain verses inside his quote. So I'm going to read the quote, and then obviously there's there's elements of this that come you know from the Bible. But this is from a page 127 of his book. And he says, the first category to be noted here is that the canonical scriptures bear evidence of their divine origins by their beauty, excellence, and perfection. When men encounter God, they are vividly aware of his beauty, majesty, and perfection, and need no further evidence that he is God. And he references um, Psalm 27.4, Psalm 50, verse 2, Psalm 96, verse 6. Isaiah 6, 1 through 7, Revelation 1, 12 through 17, and Revelation 4, 3. I'm not going to read all of those. It would take quite a while to do all of that, but you know they're there if you want to look them up. And, and continuing with the quote, in addition, Scripture itself is described over and over again throughout the Bible as bearing these very same attributes. The psalmist declares of God's word, and here he's quoting uh, various portions of the book of Psalms. The first one is from um, Psalm 19.7. The Bible says the law of the Lord is perfect. Um, 19 verse 8, the commandment of the Lord is pure. Uh, 119 verse 103, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. And then 119 verse uh, verse 129, your testimonies are wonderful. 
So you think about it, we got the law of the Lord is perfect. It's pure. It's sweeter than honey. It's wonderful. These are that, this is what he's talking about when he says beauty and excellency of scripture. This is, I mean, David can't contain himself for the writers. I think this is mostly David, but whoever's writing that particular Psalm. And then he wraps up on page 127. Thus one knows the scriptures are from God because they bear the beauty and perfection of God. So this is the first of the divine qualities is this notion that scripture is beautiful. And I can testify that there are plenty of times that I'm reading scripture and it's just a profound moment when I'll, you know, I think of like Romans eight, you know, what can separate us from the love of God. And, um, I think about, you know, quite a few of the Psalms and, you know, places in the Proverbs and, I remember, I, I forget what verse it is, but, you know, there's a place in this, in, I think it's in John, where Jesus is, Jesus says, you know, I'm going away and I'm going to come, I'm preparing a place and I'm going to come back and take you to be with me. You know, you, you believe my father, believe me too. And it's this moment of just complete peace. You know, and Jesus is, Jesus is saying, you know, take my yoke on you and learn from me for my yoke is easy and these are things that to me are just tremendously beautiful and it's just it really just it speaks to my soul and i i think that's what kruger meant when it's the idea of someone who has the holy spirit it just it resonates mm-hmm. you know sort of like how john the, the in, in the womb john jumped for joy whenever mary oh, comes yeah. over carrying yeah. jesus and i feel that way at times whenever i'm reading scripture and i'm sure most christians have felt that so that's what he means when he talks about beauty beauty and excellency of scripture and then we've got the power and efficacy of scripture. And this is on page 130. This is how he says that. A second way the canonical scripture testifies to itself is the way it functions in the life of the reader. Its divine origins are evident not only from what it says, but also from what it does. So he says, first of all, the teachings of scripture bring wisdom. And here we go to uh, Psalm 119 there's a lot of references to Psalm 119. I think it's the longest chapter in the in the entire Bible. So of course it's going to have a lot of references. But Psalm 119 chapter or, or verse 97, "Oh how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies for it is ever with me." It's effective. It brings wisdom. 2 Timothy 3 uh, verse 16, Paul's writing to Timothy and he says, "All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable." for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So we're talking about the efficacy of scripture. It trains, it reproves, it corrects. You know, it it makes us complete, ready for every good work. This is a very effective set of texts. Um, Kind of goes back to helping us find life to the full. That's exactly right. The next one, the next sort of element of this this notion of power and efficacy is that it gives joy to the heart and here uh, Kruger references Nehemiah chapter 8 starting with verse 8 and I'll just read the whole segment 8 through 12 says they read from the book from the law of God clearly and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading and Nehemiah who was the governor and Ezra the priest and scribe and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people this day is holy to the Lord your God do not mourn or weep for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready for this day is holy to our Lord and do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. 
So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy, do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. In Nehemiah 8, understanding the words that were declared to them leads to great rejoicing. Again, in Psalm 119, um, we, we read, uh, it says, Your testimonies are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. So the scripture is the joy of, of the author's heart. The other, the next section is, you know, what does, uh, along with this idea of power and efficacy, um, Scripture provides light. And again, in, in Psalm one nineteen, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So, what does Scripture do? It provides us with light. Also gives understanding. And I'm again, I'm still in Psalm one nineteen. Your testimonies are righteous forever, giving or give me understanding that I may live. So the scriptures give us understanding and allow us to live. They also provide peace and comfort. Still with Psalm 119, starting in verse 49 this time. Remember your word to your servant in which you have made me hope. This is my comfort in my affliction that you that your promise gives me life. So all of this, you know, all of this is giving us understanding. It's providing light. It's giving us peace. It's giving us comfort. It also exposes sin. The Bible, you know, if it's going to be effective, it's going to have to reach into us and tell us where we've got things wrong and we need to correct it. So look at uh, what it says in 2 Kings 22. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. And the king commanded Hilkiah the priest and Ahikam the son of Shaphah and Akbor the son of Micaiah and Shaphan the secretary and uh, Asiah the king's servant saying... Go inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all of Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. The king read the law and he immediately knew that he was guilty. He was guilty before God. It exposed his guilt. Acts chapter 2. Starting with verse 34, this is Peter talking. This is the sermon at Pentecost. For, for David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says to himself, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, and Christ this Jesus whom you crucified. Now that's Peter talking. What's the effect of the sermon? Verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, hearing the scripture, hearing Mm -hmm. the truth, cut them to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And we know the next verse, repent and be baptized for the remission of sins and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He had he had the answer right there. But the point is that here's God's word. It leads to guilt and repentance and a feeling of, you know, I, I don't stand in right relationship with God and I need to be made right with God. It draws people out. Uh, the next one I have here is Hebrews 4, verse 12. For the word of the Lord is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eye of him to whom we must give account. So this 
idea is it exposes sin and guilt. It doesn't just, you know, elevate us, but it makes us accountable before him, which is ultimately a good thing because mm-hmm. we need to be made right with God. And this teaches us about yeah. that. It's really elevating us. Um but not in the way that human beings in our lostness desire to be elevated. That's right. It's just completely upside down. There's something here as 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 you were kind of sharing those verses that um, I think is really essential. And you know, like in my life, I think what happened um, because I you know I think uh, maybe some of our maybe I've mentioned this and our listeners may have heard it, but. When I was uh, heavily involved in um, what I just say, drug, sex, and rock and roll, um, I, I, as I look back on that, there was a lack of humility oh, yeah. in in my life that um, that somehow that um, I was superior. I knew best. Um, but then after a, a a long stint with drug, sex, and rock and roll, you come to a place where you kind of go, hmm, this isn't working out very well. <laughs> and as soon as humility's introduced, um, that's when things begin to turn around. And, we, you know, we just have it in, in the... Conflicts that we have uh, today in in our society, um, and you've got people wanting life to the full, mm-hmm. but they want it their way. Oh yeah. Uh, I, there's uh, I have kind of teasing with uh, my grandchildren, and you know we'll uh, kind of make fun of different commercials. And one of the commercials that sometimes we will make fun of is. Um, you know, I I want it and I want it now. <laughs> right. You know, and you deserve. I want to get what I deserve. Uh, you know, so you have these messages oh, yeah. that are uh, um, constantly being bombarded with that pull us away from the ability to find beauty and harmony and efficacy in, in Scripture. Yeah, and I, uh, and I want to make sure we keep keep it in mind that what we're saying about these things is not. I mean, certainly the Bible is these things. But what is happening is these these scholars, these individuals are approaching these documents and saying, does it bear these characteristics? Mm-hmm. Does it does it you know expose my guilt? Does mm-hmm. it elevate my mind? Does it light my path? Those are some of these these spiritual characteristics. And yes, it has those. Okay, well then we need to start asking ourselves: Was it written by an apostle? Was it you know is it was it available to the early church? Is it written early by eyewitnesses? That sort of a thing. Let me just summarize this particular section, and then we got one more. The fundamental point, this is Kruger again on page 131. The fundamental point to be realized here is that the scriptures are powerful and dynamic, making an impact in a way that testifies to their distinctive origins and authority. As N.T. Wright has observed, those who read these writings discovered from very early on that the books themselves carried the same power, the same authority and action that had characterized the initial preaching of the word. That will be the efficacy. And the last one is the unity and harmony of Scripture. And let's go through this just really quickly because I want to make sure we get through all of the pieces here. And again, I'm going to quote from page 133 of, of Kruger's book. 
He says the third quality, the third category of divine qualities is the remarkable internal harmony and consistency born through the canonical books. It's clear from the scriptures themselves that God is a God of harmony and unity, always consistent with himself and never contradicting himself. Therefore, we would expect any document purporting to be the word of God to be consistent with other revelation from God. So if you find something that's wildly off, that's one of the reasons the Apocrypha wasn't included. Their teachings didn't agree with the rest Mm -hmm. of Scripture. And for this particular section, he references Titus 1. Um, I think it's the very beginning of it. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. We can trust that God's going to always be consistent and honest with us. And then Hebrews thirteen eight, Jesus Christ is the same today, yesterday and today and forever. God's not changing. We can we can see this consistency in Scripture, and it's the it it reflects the character of God. Um, I think when we talk about unity, we're talking about unity of doctrine. So we're not going to see a teaching like you mentioned before. Hey, it's a works based gospel in James, and it's salvation by faith in Romans. Either If they're teaching different things, then one of them is wrong. One of them doesn't belong in the Bible. I don't think they're teaching discordant things. I think they're teaching the same thing. And, and so there's this, this effort to sort of unify and make sure that they agree with each other because the unity of doctrine is an important characteristic of, of the canon. And then the last one is what he calls redemptive historical unity. And I'll just give this really quick quote. It's from pages 148 to 149. Many have noted that the scripture from Genesis to Revelation is telling the same overarching redemptive story of God reconciling fallen humanity to himself through the person of Jesus Christ. The issue for early Christians was not only whether the New Testament books agreed with the Old Testament books on any given doctrine, as important as that was, but whether the New Testament books actually completed the story begun by the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. And I think when you look at these things, you're like, okay, is it written by an apostle? Is it written by an associate of one of the apostles? You know, is it written by eyewitnesses? Is it written early? Is it generally accepted by the church? You know, largely the church accepts that this is is authoritative. Is it available to the church? The, the this particular text has not been lost. Is it uh, does it bear these these marks of beauty and efficacy and you know all these different elements and and harmony? When you begin sort of looking at this and you you go to a text and say, look, here's an ancient text, does it have all these characteristics? And if the answer is yes, guess what? We have we have God speaking to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if the answer is no, you okay, might be helpful. Set it to the side. It's not scripture. Yeah. I just want to throw something out here too, because when we use the word church, um, and how they use the word church, yeah. They're not speaking in relation to the institutional church that we have today. That's correct. They're they're speaking uh, even when Jesus uses um, the word when it's translated. the The actual word is the assembly or the group of people. These were these were followers of Jesus, uh, not in an institutional framework the way that we have it today yeah. um, and sometimes when we're when we are looking at the biblical text and we're looking at through the eyes of the institutional churches as uh, in many situations we have it today 
you can lose some of what you were just talking about. I think you're right. Yeah. Does that make sense? We yeah. we lose the efficacy. We lose the harmony. Mm-hmm. In fact, we we um, I'm, I'm always uh, disappointed when I drive down a street and I see a variety of different uh, churches. Yeah. Um, all claiming uh, to be Jesus followers, yeah. but all different. Maybe within 100 yards of each other. I can think of one road that they call Church Road here where we live, and it's just one after another. Oh, yeah. I, I, I usually, you know, I, at a, a congregation where I uh, worked previously, you know, there was the, we had the Lutheran Church, you had the Church of Christ, you had a Presbyterian Church, and you had the Methodist Church, and about a half mile down, you had the Baptist. Yeah. And I called it Holy Row. Yeah. So you could just drive through there and just pick whatever you wanted. Yeah. Um, and and I and, and I think that is a, a barrier or can be a barrier for those that are seeking because we kind of lose. Some of this, when we're looking at the text, we're looking at what group is right, yeah, as opposed to how is this helping me do life. And we may want to talk more about that later because you're right. Church in the Bible and in in the context that we're talking about, it is the body of called out believers. It's right. the saved. Mm-hmm. Wherever they worship, it's people that are saved. Right. And collectively, they make up the body of Christ. Right. And it's a whole lot more effective. If we don't spend our time saying my denomination is right and here's the things that we disagree on and we're just fight, I think that's when we do Satan's bidding at that point. Yeah, yeah. And I don't, I don't want us to do that. So I, I think you're right, and I think we ought to probably talk a little more about that at some point. I'll bring it up again. Good, you keep doing that. I appreciate that. So, all right. So let's talk next time. Let's let's get into a little bit about inspiration and inerrancy. What we mean by that, and then I think we'll have laid a proper framework. And then I want to start going into things like when do we believe the documents were written. Is the Bible historically accurate? Do we have the original documents? Those kinds of questions are things that I think are important for people to understand, and we want to spend a little bit of time on those. Uh, we'll start in, in next, maybe the next couple of conversations on that. Super. Look forward to it. All right. All right, man. You've been listening to Hacks for Life with Galen Jones of James Group Ministries. The James Group is a nonprofit, Christ centered organization that seeks to serve the community by offering skilled caring support for anyone in need. For help, call 972 243 4673. That's 972 243 4673. For questions and comments, email Galen at jamesgroupministries.net. That's G A L O N at jamesgroupministries.net. Thanks for listening. Join us next time for another Hacks for Life with Galen Jones.